I wanted to read a passage this morning that we're going to be looking at in a bit that really reminds us how great our God is. We're going to look at the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Luke 24, verses 13 through 40. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body... They came back saying that they had even seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is the word of the Lord.
Looking forward to being together with you for some time. It is a blast to gather as a congregation and remember the victory of Christ for our good to his glory. But there is a danger in holiday weekends like Easter. There's a danger in that we pretend to be something that we're not. There's something about the fun festivities and the fashion of the weekend that we allow to safeguard what's really on our minds and what's really burdened our hearts. And so we gather often in churches and around the table with family and we pretend to be someone or something or be somewhere in life than we really are and we guard ourselves. And what I love about the historical episode that Jenny just read from Luke is that Jesus does three things. He meets us where we really are. He helps us understand the things that have happened. And he gives us hope for the road ahead. He really meets us where we are. He helps us understand where we've been And then he fills us with hope for what lies ahead. And so here on Resurrection Day, we are in Luke chapter 24, the last time we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. It has been such an awesome year. And here we see the resurrected Jesus coming alongside two travelers who are leaving Jerusalem. Remember, the whole story of Luke is that Jesus is on mission to get to Jerusalem. And here we see that these two travelers... One, we know the name, Cleopas, is leaving Jerusalem. Perhaps they were part of the whole band that brought Jesus in just a week before, singing, hallelujah, hosanna, save us, God, praising Jesus, laying down their garments, waving palm branches. They've witnessed his teachings this week. They heard of this last supper he's had, and then they watched him be betrayed, tried, crucified and buried and it's all over and now they're just leaving and Jesus comes alongside them where they're at and asks questions I love this this just shows that that Jesus is gentle and humble he's lowly and he comes alongside us where we are and he engages us with questions, not because he doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know, not because he doesn't know what you're thinking about or what's on your heart or what's going on in your life. He asks questions to draw out from you really a, a confession of things. This is where I really am. You're telling him where you're really at. And so he begins to ask him, what are you talking about as you journey to Emmaus? And they just stop. And in their sadness, They look at him dumbfounded. Are you the only one? Like the only person who's traveled to Jerusalem that doesn't know, doesn't understand the things that have happened? It's like there has been a seismic event which has captured everyone's attention. How could you even ask us the question, what we're talking about? We're talking about the thing, man. This is what they say in verse 19. We're talking about this Jesus of Nazareth. That's what we're talking about. We're having a conversation concerning the things of this Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, who was mighty indeed. That's his works, what he did. 
and in his words what he said. And maybe they start talking about the things that they've been discussing and bringing Jesus along as they continue to travel. There was this Jesus, mighty and prophet, before God and before the people, and you should have seen the things that he did. We saw him do these things. You should have seen him. He, he calmed storms, disasters. We watched him heal diseases and heal people with disabilities, returning sight to blind eyes. We watched him bring people back from the dead. We watched him cast out demonic, evil activity in people's life and then restore them as whole people and bring them back into community. We watched him in humility and compassion gather with people around the dinner table. Those of the religious leaders said, what are, you, what are you doing hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? And Jesus welcomed them into his life. The deeds of Jesus were mighty. And you, you, all you should have heard him preach. The things that he talked about, his claims about himself. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Like you feast on me. I am living water. One time he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father. No one comes to eternal life except through me. Jesus said he was the son of God, the promised Messiah, the one who was to come. Jesus said he could forgive sins. Jesus told people their sins were forgiven. He was mighty in words and deeds, but. But the chief priests, this is what they go on to say, in verse 20, but, but the chief priests, they, they took him and they crucified him and he's dead. And so all those great deeds, all those mighty words, well, now we just look at them and honestly, they're just dead. They're dead deeds and they're dead words and we're leaving that behind and we're going home. There's no expectation, no anticipation of resurrection in the hearts of these disciples. And I wonder if Jesus is listening going, oh, man, you think those deeds were great? You, you can't wait to know what I just did. Like the greatest deed, why I'm here, has just been done. And I can't wait to tell you. I can't wait for you to see what has just been accomplished. And of all the words to remember... Don't you remember I told you so many times on our way to Jerusalem, I told you that this all was going to happen. Like this wasn't an accident. My life wasn't taken from me. I told you I have the authority to lay my life down. I have the authority to take it up. No one takes it from me. I told you we're going to Jerusalem and there the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. That happened. Remember I told you that? Remember I told you they were going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the leaders and they were going to hand me over to be put to death and that happened? And then I told you I was going to be buried and dead. Remember how many days I told you I'd be dead for? Three. You know how many days it's been? Three. Like, remember these words. But he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say that. He just meets them where they are and they express to him, I think, an honest confession. Verse 21. But we had hope. Like, this is what's wrapped up in it. It's like, we were following him. We gave up our lives for him. We were committed to him. And then he, man, he just disappointed us. He didn't do the thing. He didn't do the thing that we were following him to do. We had hoped that he'd be the one to redeem Israel. But that hope, well, that's dead. 
What we have now is shattered dreams, and we're leaving Jerusalem trying to put the pieces together. Like, what do we do now? Where do we go now? We left, we left jobs, we left careers. We were outspoken for our, our community that thought we were stupid. And then, and then now it looks like they were all right. We had hoped. And then Jesus, in his sweet compassion, begins to teach them and to show them. And he makes this next movement. He's met them where they are in their hopelessness. And then he begins to help them to understand what has happened. You see, when we lack understanding, we lose hope. When we lack understanding, we lose hope. Imagine, maybe this has happened to you, maybe it's happened to a loved one or a, or a, a family member or a friend, is that they have a physical medical ailment and they're going to the doctors one after the next and they're going and saying, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, things aren't right. And the doctors are doing tests, looking at them, and they keep coming back and saying, I don't know. Like, we don't know what's going on in you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? What you lose is hope. Like, these are the medical experts. If they can't figure it out, what hope do I have to get better? And so when we lack understanding, we lose hope until finally someone comes to us and says, you know what? I was thinking about your condition. I looked at some of your tests. I think this is what's going on. And they give you understanding which then something in your heart's like, okay, it's, it's waking up. It's not that the pain has gone away. It's not that this has been resolved, but there's hope. If you can give me understanding, hope comes alive again. And so Jesus gives them understanding to understand what has, what has happened. And so what does he do? He opens up the scriptures. He says, oh, you who are slow to believe. This is verse 25. You who are slow to believe all that the prophets have said. Now, he doesn't say, you who are slow to believe the eyewitness testimony of the ladies this morning. You who are slow to believe the witness of your friends who went to the empty tomb. That's not where he directs them for understanding and to build their hope. Where does Jesus direct them? To the scriptures. You who are slow to believe all the prophets, what has been written about me. He just opens up to them their Bibles, this whole Old Testament. That's this Big, huge section here. This is what he's doing. And he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all the things concerning, what does it say? Himself. Like this whole thing is set up for my arrival. Like all of this is promises that you would know and anticipate my coming, my work, my death, and my resurrection. Believe the promises of God is what Jesus is saying. Now, how many promises are in this big old Old Testament about Jesus? I mean, this accounts for the beginning of human history through the history of Israel, written over a thousand years. How many promises are there in here? How many promises would it take for you to believe that Jesus is the promised Christ? Three? Like just three solid good promises in here? How about 12? Like one for every tribe of Israel. What if there were 50? What if you found out that there were 50 promises in here in anticipation of Christ's birth, his life, death, and resurrection? Would that be enough for you? What about 100? What about 200? 
What if you found out there are 500 references to the work of Jesus Christ to anticipate that are fulfilled? You're like building. What if you found out, as Jesus said, it's the whole thing? That's what Jesus is doing. Beginning on the first pages of Genesis, through all the histories, the Psalms, and the prophets, let me take you to the scriptures so that you might understand what has just happened, what has been fulfilled. Now, I love this. You know why I love this? It's because his first evidence is not hands and feet. Because a lot of people in this room would say, oh gosh, if I saw the resurrected Jesus, I too would believe. I mean, I know there were 500 witnesses that saw him at one point. If I were one of them, of course I would believe. But that's not the evidence Jesus gives to these disciples. And this is why I find so much hope in that is Jesus presents to these two travelers the same thing that you and I have access to today. It's not something way back then. He gives us the same thing that we have access to today, which is God's word, the things that he foretold of his son's arrival in which Jesus fulfilled, how he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, the family he was going to be born into, what he would do, what he would say, how he would accomplish it, his death, his resurrection, all foretold and fulfilled. And that's why Jesus takes them to the greatest Bible study to help them understand the things that have happened so that their hope would then be restored. And this is like the greatest Bible study ever. They're just continuing to walk and talk about the things that have happened and God's showing them that they've been promised to happen this way. And then the travelers pull over to spend the night. And Jesus goes as though he's going on to move, to move on. And they ask him this question. Would you stop and hang out with us for a little bit longer? Like this is the question to ask Jesus. Is if there's any interest in the things in which he has revealed to us about who we really are and what we've really been up to, to simply ask this. Jesus, would you, would you hang out in my life a little bit longer? Some of the things that you've said have perked my interest, have, like, have, re, have reignited my heart, would you linger in my life longer? Like I know I'm here on a Sunday at Easter and I've been away for a long time. And perhaps I've been, a long, I've been away for a long time because there was a, a series of events that happened that I too said I had hoped that God was going to show up in my life this way and man, he let me down. And so I took a step away from faith and I, and I journeyed away from Jesus. And I'm, I'm coming back and I'm trying to check out, is Jesus really trustworthy and true? And maybe you would say what these disciples just simply said is, hey, I think you have the words of life. Would you, would you not continue on? Would you actually hang out and linger in my life and continue to teach me these things? And so Jesus hangs out with them. And they gather around the table, it says. And Jesus probably gives a blessing and then he takes bread from the table and he breaks the bread. And what does it say about their eyes? Their eyes are opened and they recognize him. When was the last time Jesus broke bread? As at the Passover meal. Jesus is with his disciples on the evening he's betrayed and he's having Passover meal and he takes bread from the table and he says, this is my body that's given up for you. This is the work I'm about to accomplish, and it's for you, and it's my body. And then he breaks the bread. And he says, take this in remembrance, remembrance of me. 
And there he breaks the bread again. And these, these disciples are like, oh, it's Jesus, the one who broke bread with us, who broke bread with the 12. It's Jesus. He's truly alive. And then it says this, says, was our heart not burning inside us? Now this, this burning inside is like, is that hope being restored? And, and how was it that their hearts were awakened, that hope was coming back to them? It's when he was what? He opened up the scriptures to us. This is why we love God's word. It's living and active and you get in it and there's something in there that just wells up in us saying, man, if that's who God is, that's how much he loves me, if that's how, how faithful he is, there's something that burns with inside me. It's like this hope that I have to know more about. And he says, was it not when he was talking about the scriptures that our hearts were awakened and when he broke the bread, our eyes were open to see who he is. And they rush back to Jerusalem to go find the other disciples. And as they rush back to Jerusalem, they say, the Lord has risen indeed. Like it's no joke. And he didn't do it metaphorically. He's not just living on in our hearts. It's not just a spiritual resurrection. It's a visible, bodily, historical, factual resurrection. And then Jesus accomplished it. And this little phrase here is, is why the church historically on Easter greets one another with this greeting. Someone will say, he is risen. He's risen, risen indeed is the echo. He truly rose from the dead, bodily, visibly, historically. And then Jesus is in their midst. And he says, touch my hands, touch my feet. Now, what I love about this is the disciples' unbelief on Easter morning continues to build into the credibility of the story. Because they didn't, they didn't repaint the picture in rose-colored glasses like, we, we, all, we all knew it was going to happen. Like, we followed him for all those years. Like, I wouldn't have abandoned him. No, they, they just tell the story as it honestly happened. And I think to their own embarrassment, probably, like, they're telling the story to their grandkids, and their grandkids are like, tell me, Uncle Tom or Grandpa Tom, were you there? Like, surely you were at the tomb counting it down like 10, 9. You had sparklers, like big old breakfast. He's going to be hungry. It's like, no, none of us believed. None of us did. The ladies went to the tomb in the morning, not in anticipation of resurrection, but to anoint a dead body because he was buried in haste. And the way that you see the transformation in our life is only because he rose from the dead. Grandpa Tom, were you there at the grave? No, I was, I was leaving town. I was on the road back home to Emmaus. But then Jesus met me where I was helped me understand what has happened and gave me hope for what was to come. And I belong to him. And that's our greatest hope. Our greatest hope and our greatest good is that we belong to Jesus. The biblical word for this is baptism. It's, it's being immersed into. 
that we would belong to Jesus, both in his death, so that we would belong to him in his life. So how is it that someone is immersed into Jesus? You're immersed in the life of Jesus by grace through faith. It's a word of repentance. Is that you're journeying on in your life apart from God and you just stop and you're arrested by Jesus. And you say, would you forgive me for the ways in which I've lived apart from you, ways I've lived that are an offense to you, and would you forgive me and would you call me your own? And Jesus says, you bet. You bet. You just come before Jesus and say, Lord, I just, I just surrender my life and I ask that you would take over ownership, that you would own me. You'd be my Lord. Like, you get to call the shots and I'll follow you. Would you be my owner? Would you own me? So that I would belong to your death, that I might belong to your life, that I would be redeemed from the ways that I'm living and be brought to the Father. Remember they said, we had hoped, we had hoped that he'd be the one to redeem Israel, to bring us back. And Jesus says, that's what I just did. Now, he didn't redeem us, as Peter says, with silver or with gold, but he redeemed us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It cost Jesus his life to redeem us. And Peter picks up on that, and he says, but it was for a purpose. He says, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world. Like Jesus knew his purpose and his plans before he laid the foundations of the earth. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest, made known that you would see him, that I would see him in these last times for the sake of you. He did that for you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in what? God. Your hope is secure in God, not in yourself, not in your accomplishments, not in your possessions, but your faith and hope are in the faithfulness of God. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. And the reason we have a living hope is because we have a living Savior who's not dead, but alive. He's alive today and sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And I would just love to, to wrap up this morning with one quote from Jesus for you, which is why we worship. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're really at. I don't know where your marriage is at. I don't know where your family's at. I don't know where you are as a single woman, as a single man. I don't know what your hopes and dreams are. I don't know what you're wrestling with. But Jesus comes alongside to meet you where you really are, not where we pretend to be. And to take our story that we're struggling with and, and to place it in his bigger story so that we would have understanding, so that our hope would be given to us for the days ahead. And Jesus tells this to John. This is after resurrection. He says to the apostle John, and I think he says this to you as well. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. 
I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. How awesome is that? That your resurrected king died on our behalf, is alive today, will be alive forever, and he holds the keys to the grave to set all who believe in him free. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you came and died according to your promises. And Father, I pray for my friends today that they would sense that you have come alongside them just for a moment this morning where they really are. Perhaps you would pray this on your own. Perhaps you might pray this to God this morning right now in response to a question. What are you talking about? What's on your heart and your mind this morning? He asks you that. Why don't you tell him? Like, what's really going on? And then maybe you'd have the courage to just pray this in light of the text. Jesus, would you help me understand the bigger story that I'm in? Would you help me understand the things that have been? Help me understand where you have been in my life, where you are in my life, and and what you're up to. And then my prayer for you, I've been praying for you all week, my prayer for you is that God would fill you with the living hope of Jesus Christ. That no matter where you are, Learn. go on ahead and pat. Resurrection is possible. And so, Father, we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand and join us as we close our time in song?